chapter 3. So let's start with his first prayer. Um, The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. How long, Lord, must I call for help and you do not listen? Or cry out to you about violence and you do not save? Why do you force me to look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Oppression and violence are right in front of me. Strife is ongoing and conflict escalates. This is why the law is ineffective and justice never emerges. For the wicked restrict the righteous, therefore justice comes out perverted. All right, let's move over to chapter 3. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet, according to Shigianoth. Lord, I've heard the report about you. Lord, I stand in awe of your deeds. Revive your work in these years. Make it known in these years. In your wrath, remember mercy. God comes from Taman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covers the heavens, and the earth is full of his praise. His brilliance is like light. Rays are flashing from his hand. This is where his power is hidden. Plague goes before him, and pestilence follows in his steps. He stands and shakes the earth. He looks and startles the nations. The age-old mountains break apart. The ancient hills sink down. His pathways are ancient. I see the tents of Kushan in distress. The tent curtains of the land of Midian tremble. Are you angry at the rivers, Lord? Is your wrath against the rivers? Or is your rage against the sea? When you ride on your horses, your victorious chariot. You took the sheath from your bow. The arrows are ready to be used with an oath. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains see you and shudder. A downpour of water sweeps by. The deep roars with its voice and lifts its waves high. Sun and moon stand still in their lofty residence at the flash of your flying arrows, at the brightness of your shining spear. You march across the earth with indignation. You trample down the nations in wrath. You come out to save your people, to save your anointed. You crush the leader of the house of the wicked and strip him from foot to neck. You pierce his head with his own spears. His warriors storm out to scatter us, gloating as if ready to secretly devour the weak. You tread the sea with your horses, stirring up the great waters. I heard and I tremble within. My lips quivered at the sound. Rottenness entered my bones. I trembled where I stood. Now I must quietly wait for the day of distress to come against the people invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud and there is no fruit on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, Though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stores, yet I will triumph in Yahweh. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. Yahweh, my Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like those of deer and enables me to walk on mountain heights. Thanks. Our second reading comes from uh, Matthew, chapter 13. Page 914, Matthew chapter 26, starting at verse 36. Page 914, starting at 36. 
Then Jesus came with them to a place, place called Gethsemane, and he told the disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. Taking along Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is swallowed up in sorrow, to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake with me. Going a little farther, he fell face down and prayed, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. He asked Peter, So couldn't you stay awake with me one hour? Stay awake and pray so that you won't enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, a second time, he went away and prayed. My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came again and found them sleeping because they could not keep their eyes open. After leaving them, he went away again and prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the time is near. The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up, let's go. See, my betrayer is near. This is the word of the Lord. G'day, uh, my name is James. I'm just going to move this. hope that's all right. Oh, h and I want to trip over it. Uh, my name is James, and uh, one of the pastors here at Church by the Bridge. Uh, it is great to have you here. Uh, as Dan mentioned uh, earlier, this uh, Church by the Bridge is a year of prayer. And uh, we've kicked off the year by looking at five Old Testament characters and the way they've prayed. Uh, it's been brilliant. If you haven't been here, you've really missed out. I encourage you to go have a look at the podcasts. I can say that because I didn't preach any of them. But uh, we're drawing this little month of January to a close with the prayer of Habakkuk. Next week, we kick off with Philippians, and that's going to be really good. So stay tuned for that. But before we do that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to ask that you would give us guidance, that you would give us wisdom as we come to your word tonight. Make us men and women who pray more. As a community of believers, make us wanting to pray more, to bring our requests and needs to you, knowing that you're a God who loves us and hears us and can do something about it. Amen. I want to introduce you to three men. The first is a guy called Ben. Now, Ben lives out uh, in Western Sydney. He's a divorced dad of four children. He's a metal worker. In his mid-40s, he got the diagnosis that it was cancer. And in a moment, his world changed. The second man I want to introduce you to is a guy called Richard. Richard lives not too far from here in the Lower North Shore, and he, he got in, from Indian background, moved into his place. Didn't realize that next door, his neighbors were profoundly racist to him. The comments started coming. They started putting rubbish in his letterbox, urinating on his car. He was fearful to go home every day. And then somehow there was just not enough evidence for the cops to do anything. Now, both of these guys, Ben and Richard, were Christian. And their first instinct was to pray. But the question is, when the days turn into weeks and the weeks into months, and the cancer's still there, and the racist comments still keep coming, why keep praying? 
What's going to keep you going, keep talking to God in moments like that? A third guy I want to introduce you to is a guy called Habakkuk. He does not live in Sydney. He lived in the late 7th century BC near modern-day Palestine. And he was going through one of the most horrific moments in his life where all around him was sin and oppression and injustice. He was face-to-face with the horror of having families torn apart from his own nation and then from the nation of Babylon that's about to invade. And yet he prays and he continues to pray in one of the worst moments of his life. And my question is how? How do you keep praying in horrible situations when the news is bad and it's not getting any better? How do you pray in those times? I think we can see three things from Habakkuk's prayer. That motivates him to pray. Because his prayer, the way he prays, is not the way I pray. I don't know about you, but it's, it's different. So I'm going to learn three things tonight from Habakkuk that motivates him to pray in the hardest time of his life. The first is this. Habakkuk begins his prayer by asking God questions. Have a look in Habakkuk 1. Turn back with me to page 862. This is how Habakkuk begins his prayer. He says in verse 2 of chapter 1, How long, Lord, must I call for help and you do not listen? Or cry out to you about violence and you do not save? Why do you force me to look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? See, most of us think that it's the atheists or the skeptics who ask questions about God. That's not the case. Habakkuk, from a place of trust, asks God questions. Quite blunt questions, you've got to be honest. See, some of you might be hesitant and think, I don't think I could do that. I don't think I could actually ask God questions like that. You know, it almost seems rude. But you think about it for a moment. If you have a genuine relationship with someone, or, you know, a real authentic one, then you ask questions all the time. But take, for example, my wife and I, right? We're, we ask questions all the time, you know, with the mundane questions like, have you taken the garbage out? Where's my shoes? To real important questions like, how are you going? How, how are you feeling? Do you want me to listen or do you want me to fix it? You know, important questions like this. And that's, if my wife couldn't ask me any questions, right, that would be the sign of a very unhealthy relationship. And the same is for God and his people where God wants an authentic relationship with us, and God asks us questions, beginning with Adam and Eve in the garden, where he says, where are you, Adam and Eve? To all throughout, saying, where are you? Why do you run after other gods? Why do you sin? And his people get to ask him questions, like, how long, O Lord? Where are you, God? Habakkuk doesn't talk around God or about God. He talks with God. And some of you might be hesitant to pray, particularly in really hard times, right? Because you think, I've got to downplay, numb the pain that I'm feeling, the questions that I have, and put on a happy face and get praying. But can I suggest you do what Habakkuk does and just begin by saying, God, why? Why? The second thing we learn from Habakkuk is what motivates him to pray is he looks back 
to the past. See, often we look to the future and, we, and we're crippled by it, right? We see there's no light at the end of the tunnel. It seems too big, too hopeless. The words chronic or nothing can be done are said. It just seems hopeless. But Habakkuk is motivated to pray because he looks to the past. In verse 2 of chapter 3, Habakkuk says this, Lord, I have heard the report about you. Lord, I stand in awe of your deeds. Habakkuk thinks, look, if God has worked in the past, then there's good reason for me to trust him in the future. He goes, as it were, to God's resume. Now, last year I finished Bible college and I was looking for a job. And when you're looking for a job, you put the resume together, right? And why is it you put a resume together? It's because you don't walk into a job interview thinking, hey, I'm James, employ me, trust me, I'll be great, and then walk out. Thinking, who was that guy? Like, you have a resume, right? Because it has references. It allows the employee to know, I can trust this person. You know, they rocked up on time. They didn't steal office supplies. And, you know, they're a good team player. You know, that's, what a reference, uh, that's what a resume does. And here Habakkuk looks at God's resume. Can I trust him? What has he done? Now, you can do this in your own life, right? You can look back to the time when God got me through that messy relationship or God got me through that time of sickness and now I'm healthy. Or, or God got me through that time when I didn't have a job, but now that I do. But that's not where Habakkuk goes. He wants a stronger anchor to hold on to. He focuses on one aspect of God's resume. And you see that in Habakkuk chapters 3, 1 to 15. He points to a big moment in the Jewish history, in the Old Testament, the first half of the Bible. He's talking about the Exodus. That moment when the Jews were oppressed by Pharaoh of Egypt. And, they, and then God, through Moses, liberated his people and brought them to the promised land. There's whispers through this prayer about it. There's allusions here and there. Like verse 3 where it says, God comes from Teman, the holy one of Mount Paran. Moments, locations on the Exodus journey. Or, or verse 5, plagues go before him, recalling the gnats and the frogs and the Nile River turned to blood. Or verse 8, your rage against the sea. You ride horses, ride on your horses, your victorious chariots, the Red Sea crossing, and wiping away of Pharaoh and his army. And here God is depicted as this divine warrior. I mean, verse 12 says this, You march across the earth with indignation. You trample down the nations in wrath. You come out to save your people, to save your anointed now, some of you are probably thinking, I don't really like the idea of God as a warrior, right? It doesn't really sit well with me. And part of the reason is probably because you haven't experienced what Habakkuk has gone through with a, a nation like Babylon breathing down his neck, about to destroy everything that he loves. We haven't been there. But for Habakkuk, who's witnessing face-to-face with such horror, with such injustice. The idea of God as a judge, God as a divine warrior is such a comfort to him. And that's why he can pray. Because us in the Western world, we love the idea of God as God is love, right? We're down with that. But if God was just a God of love, then when it came to sin and oppression and, and injustice, all he could say was, well, guys, I'm just a God of love, you know, just chill. Who cares what you do? 
Grab a pina colada, hug someone. Who, you know, it does, the opposite to judgment is not love. The opposite to judgment is apathy. And you don't want an apathetic God. Just like you don't want an apathetic cop or judge when, you've, when someone's wronged you. The reason why Habakkuk can pray is because he looks back to what God has done in the Exodus. And he sees that God judges, that God takes sin and oppression seriously. And God loves and saves his people. And what he's saying here, what what Habakkuk is doing is is, he's modeling something which is quite helpful. He's saying, when you go through those horrific times in your life, when that loved one walks out on you, When the diagnosis is not good, when the bills cannot be paid, when the relationships are breaking down, look back. Find something that is concrete, that cannot change. Habakkuk went to the Exodus. But we're called to go back to an even greater event. When God rocked up on this earth and confronted us face to face in Jesus Christ. And what Habakkuk is saying, when when you ask the question... Does God care? How can I pray to him? Look back at that cross and ask, what was God doing on a cross paying for my sin? When you ask the question, does he love me? Look back at that cross with Jesus' arms stretched out, saying, I'm doing this for you, paying for your sin. When you ask the question, will there be any relief? Look back to that empty tomb. And know that the resurrection means that it will be, it will end one day. Look back in order to pray forward. And what what you're doing when you're praying is is simply having faith. It's trusting in God. Trust based on evidence, yeah. But it's trust in not knowing what the future will bring, but trusting in the one who does. The third thing we find we find interesting from Habakkuk's prayer is that he has an encounter with God through prayer. He sees God when he prays in a new way, but in the end, it doesn't bring him the warm fuzzies, right? He doesn't pray and be like, ooh, that was nice, let's do it again. It terrifies him. He literally puts the fear of God into him. Have a look at me in, in verse 16. This is Habakkuk. He says, I heard and I trembled within. My lips quivered at the sound. Rottenness entered my bones. I trembled where I stood. Habakkuk experiences how big God is and how small he is. How sinful Habakkuk is and how right and true and holy God is. And Habakkuk is shaken from head to toe on the verge of near collapse. If your view of God, friends, is small then you'll only have small encounters and small prayers and small experiences, and it'll never change you. If your view of God is big, then you'll have big encounters, big experiences, big risks to pray, and it'll radically change you. But the question is, where do you get this view of God from? If you get this view of God from something like, I like to think of God as dot, 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 That's not going to work. Because in the end, you've just created a God who can't challenge you. You need to let him tell you what he is like. See, Habakkuk heard God, verse 16. He he listened to him. What what did he hear? He didn't hear a reason 
why it's all happening. He didn't get a run sheet. Here's the plan. He didn't get a recommendation. Three easy steps to get out of this mess. No, no, no. We know that from later on it goes, now I must quietly wait for the day of distress. That's a bit vague, right? He must quietly wait. Doesn't know when, doesn't know where, but he trusts in God. He has an experience in understanding who God is. We, friends, brothers and sisters, are to be like Habakkuk, to let God speak to us. And if you want anything like a vibrant prayer life, if you want anything like a counter in God, then you need to let him, in his word, the Bible, challenge you from head to toe. Let him show you what he is like. And you'll experience God in profoundly different ways, ways that you did not expect. Ways in which... I mean, even in the hardest moments of your life, right? Even in those times when it feels like you, nothing's going to change, it feels. Even when it feels hopeless. Experiencing God in that moment. Because that's where Habakkuk is. That's where his prayer ends. I mean, hear these words, right? Hear the emptiness of these words. In verse 16, uh, 17, he says this, Though the fig tree does not bud... Though there is no fruit on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet, I mean, that's a big yet, isn't it? Yet, I will triumph in Yahweh, I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. How? How can he say that yet? I think it's because he has a genuine relationship. And he can ask God questions, honestly. I think because he, can, he looks back in order to pray forward. And because he encounters God in his word. And Habakkuk looks around and there it seems hopeless. There's no security, there's no foundation, there's, there's nothing to run to except for God and his word. And if we're honest though, because I look at this and I think, you know what? If I was in that situation... I don't think I don't, I, I don't know if I could pray. I don't know if I could pray again and again. I, I feel like I'd forget, right? I feel like I'd be distracted. I feel like I would think I can change the situation. But the good news is, friends, is that Jesus too went through the most harrowing, horrific experience known to man, and he prayed through it all. Why is it good news? I'll tell you why. It, the Garden of Gethsemane scene was read out for us in Matthew. Now there Jesus, right, is sweating blood. He's anxious. He's terrified beyond belief. And what is he doing? He's praying. Why is he praying? Is he because he knew we wouldn't. And there he is with his disciples, right, his loyalist followers around him. And what are they doing? Well, they're asleep. I feel like that's us. In a moment where we should be praying, we're asleep. We're doing something else. But there Jesus is praying. And he goes on to ask God, the Father, to change his situation. Do something different. And God says no. And yet Jesus still trusts him. And then he goes on, Jesus, to encounter God in a surprising way where he experiences the wrath of God. Not theoretically like Habakkuk, but literally on that cross. And even as his moments from death, Jesus is still praying, and he's praying a prayer he should not have prayed, or should not have had to have prayed. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's 
crying out. He shouldn't have had to experience pain and suffering, and just, but he did. And he did it on the cross. And the reason why Jesus does this is because when that time comes, whether it's now or in the future, when it is the worst moment of your life, it feels hopeless, it feels empty. And you ask the question, can I pray? Can I trust him even in this moment? Jesus can say to you, I'm not calling you to do something that I have not already done myself. I want to leave you with one last image. The image that Habakkuk brings. It concludes his prayer. In verse 19 he says, Yahweh my Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like those of a deer and enables me to walk on mountain heights. I love this image. It reminds me of this picture up on there, up on the screen. It's of Sinzuro Dam in the Italian Alps. Looks like a normal dam wall, right? Except those dark brown rocks aren't rocks. They're, next slide, they're goats. They're mountain goats on the edge of a dam wall. And you look at that and you think, you're crazy goats. What are you doing? Hold on to something. Get a harness, right? But when you're a goat, this is, this is what you do. This is, this is where you're at. This is the norm. And some of us, when we meet a modern-day Habakkuk, right, a Christian who's praying in the midst of suffering and ongoing suffering, whether you're a skeptic here or even a young Christian, you might think, how the heck do you keep praying in that moment? How do you keep praying in the hardest time of your life? But when you're a Christian and have a genuine relationship with Jesus, when you're motivated by what Jesus has done by looking back, then this is the norm. This is where you are. Are the mountaintops scary? Oh, yes. Does it seem impossible? Absolutely. But you pray because you know that Jesus has gone before you and he enables you to keep going. He's the one giving you the strength and he knows you, you know that you'll be with him to the end. And that motivates you to pray and to pray and to pray. Let's do that now. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you, Lord Jesus. We want to thank you that you were faithful right to the very end. Faithful when we were not. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you kept trusting your Father, praying to him. We ask that we would be men and women who would cry out to you. That we would look back at what you've done in order to pray forward. And that we would encounter you in your word. Gracious Lord, we ask that you, I'm aware that some of us are probably going through tough times right at this moment. But we all will in in the future. We ask, gracious Lord, that we would pray and pray and pray. Knowing, Lord Jesus, that you have called us to do something that you have not done yourself. And so we thank you. We thank you for that. Make us men and women of prayer, we ask. Amen.